The scripture is Mark 7, 1 through 8, 14 and 15, 21 through 23. The tradition of the elders. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not live according to the traditions of the elders but eat with defiled hands. He said to them, Isaiah prophesies rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are that defile, are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. now let us come into a time of exploring God's word together. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Holy One. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. Our liturgist has just read from Mark's Gospel, Jesus' admonition that we realize that it is our intentions from the heart rather than external influences that promote evil. Jesus invites us to examine our intentions to bring what comes out of our mouths and our actions to reflect our love for God and neighbor rather than blindly following rules without regard for their original or true intent. For people in first century Judaism, as well as most cultures in the ancient world, life was divided into categories of pure and impure, clean and unclean, and this applied not only to human bodies, but also to objects and places. Purity laws functioned to keep what was profane from coming into contact with that which was sacred. This text invites us into an ancient conversation about hand-washing and food and is set within a religious system that was complex, diverse, 
and included many different sects and perspectives. Here we have the Pharisees' curiosity about the eating practices of the disciples and Jesus' interpretations of Jewish tradition to his predominantly Gentile audience, while suggesting that what defiles is not what goes into the body, but what comes from the heart. Jonathan Clawens challenges the ways in which we have mistakenly identified purity with sin and with status. The assumption that anyone of lower social rank was considered unclean and assumed that purity laws were the tool used by dominant religious forces to exercise power and social, social control. We are quick to imagine Jesus facing off against his own tradition when in fact he stands in the prophetic lineage of those before him who continued to engage and call their tradition to accountability and more justice. How do we here at Wesley disrupt dualism, those two ends of the spectrum, honoring and centering the power between and beyond the binaries? Jesus was the great binary buster who doesn't align with the marginalized, doesn't just align with the marginalized because he does, but as Marcella Althaus Reed says, represents a truly marginalized God. He was the crack in the foundation of the binaries, inviting us to redefine what it means to belong to God, to one another, and to the world. These rituals and relational practices should be understood as shaping each other, not separate or opposed as some were inclined to treat them. Jesus uses the Old Testament scripture in this way, challenging the disconnect that some of us make between ritual and morals. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Stephen Burns suggests that the word worship has its roots in the Old English word, worshipe, which was related to worth, which suggests toward or turned or inclined. Worship is turning toward that which we perceive to be of worth. What good is worship? what we turn toward or center, if it doesn't lead us to radically different behaviors, morals, and ethical practices. If we disconnect our Sunday worship from our Monday politics, Jesus has a word for us, the strong rebuke that we find in this passage. Ritual shapes ethics, and ethics in turn shape ritual. Sometimes one needs to be prioritized over the other, and that is ethics. That is love. That is a moral commitment to the flesh and blood among us. This is Jesus' claim shared among many in his Jewish community at the time. Binaries of pure and impure have been co-opted, deployed, and weaponized in American life, fueled by Christian supremacy, white supremacy, and heteropatriarchy. 38 states are currently considering a total of 137 bills that seek to control the bodies and limit the rights of trans and gender nonconforming folk. Many of these bathroom bills, specifically designed to prevent students from using bathrooms, locker rooms appropriate to their genders. What does it mean to be the church in the context of a broader culture which has weaponized notions of purity in a time of pandemic when we are trying to keep the coronavirus from coming into contact with our very bodies? What might worship, the act of censuring that which is of worth, look like now? Will we prioritize tradition or relationship? Jesus is clear. It is right relationship that is most sacred. 
We shall be known by the company we keep, the song from Ma Muse reminds us. Relationship rooted in justice and dignity defies and disrupts borders and boundaries. It is not just that the relationship itself is sacred, but that it is one of the places we experience and find God. God as the connective tissue weaving and holding us all together, all of creation. Theologian Carter Hayward wrote, God is the power in relation. The simple act of eating in community can be revolutionary. It was with Jesus. It is intimate, vulnerable. It is one of the ways that cultures ritually repair damaged relationships, connect with ancestors, solidify commitment, and offer blessing. One of the simplest, most ordinary things that Jesus did is the one thing that Jesus' followers continue to do regularly. We reenact a moment in which Jesus took the bread, blessed, broke, and shared it with others. Whether practiced as a formal sacrament or simply in our kitchens, fellowship halls, or picnic tables, we feed, are fed. We are companions, which translated means simply with bread. To companion with another and eat together, this is indeed the holy stuff of life. Are we loving each other? What might the kids in our community teach the adults about table fellowship? about the costs and struggles of navigating power and belonging, about taking risks on each other, and about choosing who we sit with and who we don't in the cafeteria of life. Bible scholar Matt Skinner says, at least one part of this passage is straightforward, although disturbing. Jesus explains where evil comes from. It comes from within all those people who bug you, but also from within you. Me too. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, and folly aren't the only wicked things that come out of our poorly guided selves. If we have a rule that the church doors remain locked between certain hours but neglect the stranger, allowing them, inviting them in from the dark and the rain, we have obeyed a law to the exclusion of the good intent that may have initially been behind that rule, to love and protect our community. If we follow a guideline that calls for using disposable plastic containers without stopping to inquire why or considering what environmentally friendly alternatives there may be, we have turned a good intention into a blight on our environment. And consider all the larger examples, the larger things, the wars that have been fought, to believe that this is about the laws themselves is to miss the point. Jesus' followers, all of them Jews, didn't adhere to the same purity practices. Some disciples did not wash their hands in particular ways prior to eating. This alone means little since the wider Jewish population at the time didn't exhibit strict consistency in such matters. In verses 6 and 7, Jesus cites the Greek version of Isaiah 29. He likens the traditions of the elders to mere human precepts that misconstrue God's commandments. Jesus does not deny the validity of the Mosaic law in general or its individual commandments. He rejects how certain interpretations and therefore certain practices may have deviated from or obscured the intent of laws meant to safeguard purity. The Isaiah passage introduces a contrast between the lips and mouth and the heart. Jesus builds on this 
contrast, to transform the issue into one about defilement and how a human body becomes polluted. Simply put, impurity is a matter of the heart, not the mouth. And so the passage ends with a representative, but not exhaustive, list of things capable of making a person impure. Some are deeds, others are character traits and attitudes. All originate, Jesus says, in the human heart, for which the ancients represented the seat of rationality and will. Defilement dwells deep within. Hand washing and foods are not the main concern here. We have no evidence that Jesus himself disregarded them. Instead, Mark 7 speaks much more plainly about the source of defilement. It's more internal than external. It's more about who you are than about the foods or filth you avoid. It's not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not the law. What Jesus objects to with fiercest criticism in this passage is the human being. Joel Marcus notes the concentration of the word anthropos, meaning human being or person, 11 times in the span of Mark 7, verses 7 through 23, and says this, the basic problem Christians should be concerned about, Mark seems to be saying through this striking pileup of the word anthropos, is not how or what one should eat, but the internal corruption of the anthropos. It is this malignancy that chokes the life out of tradition and turns it into an enemy of God, contorts it into a way of excusing injustice and blinds those afflicted by it to their own culpability for the evils that trouble the world. Jesus' comments propel us to keep our evils in the spotlight. We know enough about the human condition to say that evil is more is about more than an individual's selfishness or bad decisions. It roams our collective existence, our social, economic, and familial systems. We are at once perpetrators and victims, and our victimization furthers our capacity to perpetrate. Jesus invites us to examine our intentions to bring what comes out of our mouths and our actions to reflect our love for God and neighbor, rather than blindly following rules without regard for their true intent. May it be so. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.